Welcome to Shapers of Society podcast. I am your host, Rachel Taylor. The intention of this podcast is to ask the question, what's the alternatives? There's a whole new world called sustainability now. And the climate change, you know, the Johnny Rotten climate change that's kicking off right now is ripping apart society. C19 is totally devastated society. It's start it's trying to society is trying to come out of it with a new way forward for humanity. And I'd like to be part of the exciting evolution of sustainability, especially in a textile world where the commodity is so landfill buoyant and saturated that I'm taking it as a positive. I'm not seeing it. I don't enter it negatively at all. I don't go, oh God, I go, wow. You know, and I want to be able to take students by the hand to it and go, see all this? We can really make some exciting stuff out of it and and sell it back. Be part of a new circular economy for consumerism that then can then, you know, through the teachings of the, the nest can spawn a new generation of custom builders, um, which will, ultimately create new ideas around design for sustainability but until then i'm only as i say at the moment really interested in creating a kind of subculture called custom build so that the students feel that they're doing something fresh for the 21st century not necessarily dragging the ideas of the design element of pattern cutting into from the 20th century into the 21st century because the landfill is full of patterns it just depends how you approach them. So they become the new postcode customizer, you know, and rather than the new fashion designer, it's like, you know, there's a new modern definition of what they're doing because they're not designing anything. They're taking the pattern of a past and then augmenting it and putting it into, you know, chopping it up and putting it together with other already made patterns to create a custom build. Well, I mean, every kid, every youth has got a wardrobe bursting with stuff, let alone their brothers and sisters, let alone their mum and dad. So every household has potentially the most amazing custom builds that they can do themselves in their bedroom under their bedroom atelier idea and come out of that bedroom ready for the the next rave, looking the dog's bollocks. So I'm excited to announce that today on the show, I will be joined by Dr. Noki. He's been known as the king of customization, DIY, an anti-fashion artist who responds and subverts what exists using ingenuity and reinventing to create street couture. Welcome, Dr. Noki. Right, nice to meet so you. Thank you, Rachel. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Right. Um, <laughs> I will start with my first question, which is a lot about beginnings and influences, because I know that's a really big part of your work and I'm really interested in that myself because I too uh, engage with all those different areas. So in your creative work in interviews, you reference music, art and culture from hip hop to rave, Dada art movement, remix street cultures and the book Culture Jam, uh, which is really important and influenced you quite a lot. Can you talk about the roots of these influences and how they've come together creatively? 
I think it just, I mean, I tend to just go right back to the beginning and it would start at 1988 when I was 16, 17. And I was uh, right in the middle of an Aberdonian rave um, in Fever. The club was called Fever. Um, previous clubs to that were Deep House um, and it would have been the Pelican Club, Bang Club, and then the Bang Club got closed for dubious reasons. And then Fever opened up in a disused, or a, it wasn't really disused, it was like a, a, an old church made into a club. Um, and Acid House kicked off in 1988. And the various things, subcultures talk about like drug movements, all that kind of stuff. Um, I did my first Acid. I think it cleared my brain of the depression that I was featuring at the time because I was a highly bullied kid at school. Um, I was subjected to the hatred of a village in Scotland um, and that would be due to my name being, my mum remarried and I had a name called Hudson and uh, a famous film star at the time called Rock Hudson died of um, AIDS and he shocked the world by not only having AIDS but being gay. Yeah. And of course, you know, that kind of thing in Scotland was um, the devil incarnate um, and I was a 14-year-old kid um, and I got on the school bus and I was outed and with AIDS at the same time. So it kind of put a shock wave of, you know, uh, oh, well, this is going to be life for the next whenever years until I leave this school. And I had to deal with being outed. And uh, it's, it's kind of, you know, the idea of, you know, the, the, the lie was, um, or the truth was, truth lies and um, humour. So truth was I was gay, but lies was I didn't have AIDS. And then the humour of it, if another kid had been called Hudson, I probably would have joined in because kids are kids. Yeah. So um, I think it carved a certain kind of synapsis in my brain about reality um, and shook, shook me out of being kind of in a, a teenage fantasy. Um, and I think that depression and that deep depression I was in at that time was fixed in '88. And I'd done my mushrooms and I'd done my acid and I started smiling again and then I started dancing. So I became very um, buoyant again. I found a place. Um, I'd moved on from my brother's punk scene, which I didn't really fit into either because obviously I was that generation below it all. And then I moved into the 88 scene and, you know, the rave kicked in and sportswear popped up and... I suited it really well and long curly wavy hair was in and that's what I had, not straight spiky hair. Um, we'd moved on from brothel creepers to trainers. Even my brother used to say, what on earth are you wearing your gym kit for? Do you know what I mean? Because we were all kicking about in sportswear, hoodie tops and rucksacks. And I just felt like I'd found my tribe and we were all kind of weirdos in this club, um, generally the gays and the straights and the weirdos together. And... We all heard our stories of bullying and we found a utopia. And I I was fixed to a certain point. Um, and I will always try and put that love feeling and that safety um, connection to my work, um, which I think is, I would sort of say, maybe empathy. Um, and try and get something out of what we are now living in, you know, 2021, the, the worst, the second worst industry of polluting the world um, has become fashion. But instead of being down about that, I just go into the rag piles of all the stuff that's been made.
customize it into brand new hybrid things. I create my art from it. I create my canvases from it. I chop it up. And I kind of try and keep that original buoyant feeling of being in the rave. So when people say to me, where did the word mashup, where does your art movement called the mashup come from? It comes back to a bit like when you said, you know, the daddest movement. I loved that movement. I think my dyslexia was attracted to it. And it made no sense, but it had a sense of, I had a sense of understanding of it. And um, it's not until I started chopping up the ABC from the branded words and reconfigurating new narratives from the, you know, the ABC of Adidas and Nike and Fila and uh, creating a new power alphabet and creating new collages from that. Yeah, that's interesting you say about rave and hip hop. And I think the Dada movement, because they all connect so much, don't they? Because it is about a lot of well, interesting what you found. Well, really- um, um, Flash, he chopped up songs at that time yeah. and collaged them into new tunes, um, which is exactly what the Dadas did. They chopped up books and manifestos. That was an outrage at the time because they were curated, edited books that gave us information and let society be improved and when you were cutting up those books and putting words into bags and pulling out and sticking nonsense narratives together to try and like emulate the nonsense of the killing fields that were going on in the you know the great wars um and the assemblages they did with um you know the stole and the the bicycle wheels and you know when you put them together you know the bicycle still bicycle wheel still goes round but it doesn't go anywhere and you can't sit on the stool anymore so it's kind of what are these things in society I love those kind of like you know moments of like uh, what you know because the wheel the wheel at that time was so common coming back to what you were saying there about the Dada movement and also you know hip-hop because I know with a lot of the the trainers and the actual hip-hop style came from recontextualizing and finding what existed wasn't it and then customizing it to creatively express what that movement was all about yeah it was like taking uptown and making it downtown yeah um, reappropriation of wealth um, as style um, it was a kind of piss take you know of like you know I don't really have this money but I have the look that may show that I have this money um, and it was also urbanized as well so I had even more edge and and irony attached to it which makes it a lot more exciting and a lot more um, you know this horrible word called cool you know yeah. um, um, and hip hop we were, in, you know, we were lucky in Aberdeen, even though it was a northern Scottish town, city. Um, we had the oil industry, so we had MTV. We had a lot of American influence. So, you know, we had Americans there that were had they were talking about hip hop as it was coming across, and you know, we had, you know, hip hop jams and that kind of stuff, and we'd enter them, and you know, had a crew and. Our, our lad who was a real kind of like cheeky bugger he spun round and you know um jogging bot jogging bottom flipped um a guy and we won the competition from it and it was it was you know it was fun times and i was i, I liked um body popping that was my kind of thing um never really could do breakdance i was too gangly for it and um 
and then it moved on. You know, I was involved in my brother's punk scene as well. That was a great time. So I would get involved with going to see the Cult. First, first ever band that I saw was the Cult and the Cramps. You know, and there was bands called Guanabats and King Kurt. So I would grow up from the age of thirteen, really on the um, the cutting edge of Aberdeen. You know, tribalism, as you would say. And then I moved into my own one eighty eight with the um, the dance of coming out of the. The house music, um, Chicago house, deep stuff like that, and then got bang into '88, and then I moved to Edinburgh, yeah, um, in '89 to go to art school, um, so I kind of like failed my hires, and then I resat and did I had to do all that all over again, and then you know I got myself into, you know, an escape plan which was get to art school, um, and I went to Edinburgh Art School. It was a good time uh, to be at art school because you know the rave culture. So yes, waves, well, the original ones, or because I grew up in Bristol, there was a lot of um, you know, raves in the fields and abandoned buildings. But I just remember yes. that time with the music, just hearing that sound, it was so different, wasn't it? You yeah. sort of were like, What yeah. is that sound? It was, it was, yeah, what, what is that sound, and why is my body popping around to it? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, how is my hands in the air boxing away and being. You know, why am I one leg kicking forward and the hand pushing, you know, what 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 am I doing? It was it was it was amazing because it, it it was instinctive. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing that I loved about it all. It was such an instinctive time and it was such a smile and everybody was dancing not together. And it was also that was another thing. We yeah. didn't dance together, we danced side by side towards yeah. the DJ box. That's true, actually. Because but it had that feeling of community when you were trying to find the rave. Yes. I remember we had to open the car door and we could hear the music in the distance oh. and try to follow. And then eventually you go over the hill and you see all these cars and you're like, okay, now we're in business. But it was, it was also seeing your tribe as well, seeing a hooded top and seeing a tracksuit and a trainer, you know, seeing that visual identity of your look. It wasn't biker jackets and tight jeans and brothel creepers, you know, it wasn't spiky hair. It wasn't, yeah. you know leather jackets it was a whole new silhouette um, and also both those movements hip-hop and rave it was like you found things that could fit it it wasn't so much you bought for it because that came down later didn't it when people yes. were self-inventing uh, yes painting their own t-shirts or dyeing them a certain color or yes yes there was a there was a lot of um right um secondhand shopping as well like the big yeah. stuff the big stuff that you found in the charity shops you know all of a sudden could be worn yeah. um that were super cheap you know what i mean like you could get all that kind of stuff especially if you went to flip of hollywood that was a really famous one in edinburgh yeah and that was the rag yard of of, of du jour in edinburgh it was called flip of hollywood and i just remember walking in there and i was like i'd never seen so many levi jeans in my entire life i mean if i bought 50 pairs of the best ones there, I'd be a, a millionaire now, but because they were all salvaged and wrecked and you can't get anything like it now, let alone the big baggy American style Adidas Nike Fila t-shirts, you know? Um, so, yeah. I it was, traveled to Bristol to, yeah. go, to go to Flip and go all the second-hand stores. Oh, you remember Flip then, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I remember Flip. And downstairs yeah. was always cheaper, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, I mean, the downstairs in Edinburgh was full of like ball gowns. I mean, you're you're talking like rails and rails and rails of society ball gowns. I mean, there was, must have been Chanel, Dior, 
yeah, Paco Rabanne, all kinds of stuff in there. Not things I didn't care about them. They were it was too dress up, fancy dress. It wasn't my thing. Upstairs was just I, I, all I was interested in was denim jeans, dungarees, t-shirts, you know, um, and, 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 and caps. And that time, it was like for me personally. I remember seeking out shops that no one else would know about, which was yeah. down a street that no one went, and normally, yeah, under underground. Yeah. And it was really important to me that where I shopped, especially late 80s, yeah. and even early 80s, because I used to go to this place called Paradise Garage in Boney, yeah. in Bristol. I don't know if you ever went. Yeah, I heard the name, yes. Punk I heard, shops, really mm-hmm. expensive. I used yeah. to spend all my money on it. A pair of shoes that was it but then I went to then it started to be all about jeans like you've said and it was normally about Levi's tab jeans yeah you couldn't wear Salvage, any of the yeah. jeans. you would never wear fashion jeans that was no it. it was that was just there was a thing in, there was a thing in Scotland for Catherine Hamnet massive one for Catherine Catherine Hamnet used to wear you know what I mean so yeah, yeah. but but yes it was it was a you know it was second hand it was um, it wasn't even about being down in feel. It was part of you when you rave, you get sweaty yeah. and you don't have the care for looking after stuff as such. You want the style, but you don't want the hassle of the pretentiousness of looking after the textile. You yeah. just wanted to look, and the baggier the better, because obviously you sweated because it was all about the dancing and there was no air conditioning as such, you know, if, if it was inside a club at that time either and um the place used to sweat you know you must remember the yeah the building sweating literally dripping Definitely. um and, you know we we in 80 up in Aberdeen you know when you left the club it was freezing cold and when you left that building with a hot body we all sw- steamed you know so yeah. literally the back alleyway of the club was just full of young kids and hoods with steam coming off them we'd do it was, it was alien it was yeah. pure alien. I mean, it was, and we, you know, somebody would kick off a car stereo and play a tune. You know, I mean, back then it was just decks, you know, so they would stick a tape in and yeah. play a tune and, you know, it would reverberate around the back alleyways of Aberdeen because it's all granite. So it would just bounce everywhere. And so it sounded amazing. But within minutes, you know, generally the police would turn up and they were just confronted by a bunch of like kids, you know, in hoodie tops with sweat just in, in smoke coming off of them. And we were like aliens to them. And it really freaked out, you know, a lot of the, you know, the brethren we used to call them, you know what I mean? The kind of hardcore religious lot. You know, there was I a think, lot of like I think I loved the realness of that time. You know, it's very yeah. real, wasn't it? It was just it was instinctive. Like, it was instinctive, it was spontaneous, it wasn't yeah. like thought through too much. It and the same with the clothes. It was like, how can I put these clothes together? It wasn't a look you looked up. Mm. It was like, you're like, well, I want to kind of recreate something and, and look different. How can I do it? And it was experimentation, you know, from mm. hip hop rave. So- well, the bandana wasn't just a bandana. It was actually a sweat catcher, you know? Yeah. You know, the baggy, the baggy dungarees, because it was baggy and it was easy to jump around inside it while you were jumping around to the rave. You know, yeah. all the bagginess, all the androgyny was really instinctive because um, beforehand it was very much the punkettes looked like the punkettes and the punks looked like the punks. You know, male and female were definitely a genre together, you know, yeah. where I just remember being very shocked about 
you know, seeing some girls who looked like boys that would turned up because you'd only know they were boy girls because when you, the, the sweat up kicked off in the club, you know, everything became the wet t-shirt competition. You know what I mean? So that's when you'd see nipple and tit. Yeah. And you were like, oh, my God, you're a girl. Oh, wow. Because beforehand, it was all bucket hats and big, huge baggy. And, and that was not until the sweat up kicked in that, the, you know, the wet T-shirt thing kicked in. And that's, that's I love that, that, that kind of, like, that, un, that, that unexpected thrill of sexuality that kicked off, you know, because it was, um, there was no, it was very androgynous. I just remember the, my first raves being super androgynous and me fitting in really well with that. Because obviously being gay, I was kind of like, you know, caught up in what is gay? Does it mean you're a girl? You know what I mean? Is this, what is this thing, you know, being gay? Is like, are you, you know, especially in deep Scotland, because nobody explains anything to you. You're just like the freak of nature, you know what I mean? And you're not, you're just like, you know, you're, you're, you know, in Scotland they call it a poof. Do you know what I mean? So if you're just a poof, do you know what I mean? That means you're a girl. Do you know what I mean? And like, I love the fact that everybody, all the kids used to turn up and we just all looked like just nor normal in the sense of, androgynous is what we call it now you know but there was a kind of physicality to the look that stopped us being defined as any particular sexuality I love that bit yeah know? that's so true it's not until you got to know people and the sweat kicked off you went oh my god you, you know you knew there was a girl but it was not until yeah. then that there was a kind of like indication to sexuality you know and obviously a lot of the boys had long hair as well that was yes exactly that's so, what yeah, I had there's I had, a lot yeah, of that I, crossover Exactly. So I had, I mean, I, that's part of why I got, I was so, so badly bullied because I'm back in then casual movement and they were all into spirit of destiny haircuts, you know, so it was all short, the side and flick and I, I didn't have that kind of hair. So I just started growing my hair. I thought I was in for a penny, in for a pound and, and something instinctive inside me said, I need to have long, I need to grow my hair. And, and I think, you know, in excess was probably um, the band that kind of encouraged me to, uh, grow because I could see I had this wavy hair once yes. it started dropping and I thought and then he was becoming kind of a rock star kind of look and I just I just and then by the time his thing had come and gone you know I'd hit Edinburgh with this long centre parted what we call it curtains haircut and yeah. I was banging tune with you know the rave scene in Edinburgh um, which was um, you know now being documented as you know the train spotting era you know yeah so I was very lucky. I was, I've been, I've just been, you know, right time, right wave. Do you know what I mean? Um, it that's was kind good. of how I see my life. Um, and that I followed straight through into the 90s, 95s, when I moved to London to the Shoreditch era. And I got myself a warehouse in Leonard Street, which was the Derrier Street for £25 a week, you know? Wow. And I, and I started working at the Blue Note. And then I got a job at the Bricklayers and I opened the Bricklayers as the first rave pub at the yeah. weekend and, I, and literally it just kicked off and that's what gives that me time, the there wasn't you know there wasn't it wasn't like it is now anyway was it it was like no it was it no, went it was down, down. I mean, it was there was the Bricklayers Arms there was the Blue Note well the Bricklayers Arms was, was only when I first moved it was only open at week weekdays it was never open at the weekend it was dead at the weekends yeah uh, it was cl closed because Vicky wouldn't open it at the weekend she was only opened it for businessmen um, and she was like, I ain't fucking up, and they can fuck off. Do you know what I mean? And we're like, oh, when I had to basically, um, the owner, I met her at the Blue Note when I first moved there, because I'd moved in 95. Because there was a lot of parties around that time, wasn't there? A lot of warehouse parties.
Not to begin with, no. Not in, well, like not not, well, not 90, so much. I think ninety six, ninety seven. Yes. Yeah. Not when I there's definitely was dead, dead, dead when I moved in ninety five. There was the Blue Note. There was the London Apprentice, and there was the Bull and Pump, <laughs> and the Bricklayers wasn't open, and at the weekends until we told me and Fee Duran. So I don't know if you know Fee Duran. She was the high priestess of Shoreditch. And she DJ'd and I managed it and Ray used to take the money. And we um and we made more money for Vicky that weekend than she'd made all fucking weekend. And she said, Oh my god, I've made more fucking money this weekend. I've made all fucking week. Brilliant. And it never closed. Um yeah. and then it carried on and I just saw the build-up of the hell happening. And that's why when people say, well, where did you get this word? The mashup come from us as well, because I lived in a mashup and it was it wasn't pretty, you know, this mashup is, is banded about now as if it's some fun, fun word. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't fun at all. It was rape and pillage most of the time once the bricklayers really kicked off. It was horrendous. You know, it was like the drug dealers coming in, the girls getting slapped around, the boys are fighting, you know, um, yeah. the tribes coming in from all over the different London parts, vibing up of each other. You know, it was an, a very ugly rave at certain points. You know, we had to get bouncers in, which changed the dynamic of everything. And the neighbours started fucking complaining and then the police started arriving. And I was, I'd, I'd like, we had about, from 95, sort of like 90, to the beginning of 96, we had about six months to maybe eight months of fun with just the locals. And then locals are friends of friends and it built up and built up and built up. We used to call them the tourists used to arrive and then tourists upon tourists upon mates of tourists and tourists used to turn up. And it just got into out of hand and then I had to move on and I had other jobs. So I just, I demoted myself into be a glass collector because um, I needed the dollar as well, but I didn't want to manage it. And I gave my job to David Warrington and he, he took it to next levels, which were brilliant. He really managed it into the next level of absolute party. I'd be the madness in the middle of Shoreditch. Um, so he did really well, but I just couldn't, I couldn't work in it anymore. I, I, I was too, sensitive to it I could you know for me I saw the rave go toxic and I'd seen my rave go toxic too many times you know I'd yeah. seen it in Aberdeen go toxic I'd seen it in Edinburgh go toxic I'd seen it in Brighton go toxic and now I'd seen it starting to happen again in Shoreditch and I mean this was the biggest toxic I'd ever ever seen because it was London you know it was next level super next level as London can be but it was inspiring you know because I would say well, where did you get it was like well I was like you know, when you're in the middle of that and everybody's walking around with brands on and my dyslexic mind, of course, I'm chopping up those words and narratives and seeing different shapes and forms. And, you know, and, I, you know, it, it made it was just instinctive again to, to start chopping up Nike, Adidas and Fila and making hybrid garments out of them, because that's what I was seeing. You know what I mean? And I also wasn't getting it from Nike and Adidas and Fila, you know, because they don't operate together. They're complete separate entities. So I just you know, that's why I forced those brands together. I kind of early collaborated with, you know, You're kind there. of putting it together how you want it to be seen as well, aren't you? You know, well, like, it's, it was how, well, it was kind of how I was seeing it, but it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like that, but I had to make it like that because yeah. I had got to a point where I was so depressed and fucked over that I needed to walk about with these fucking words that meant something to me. So why I walked about with Adidas turning into AIDS, because in my mind, I felt like I was being inflicted by a virus, you know, and that's why I was like, OK, let's let's play with the biggest virus in the world at that time. Do you know what I mean? So Adidas became AIDS and then Fila became filth, you know, because people were like, you know, 
again, there was homophobia kicking around Shoreditch because it was all quite lad orientated. You know what I mean? And you get all like, you know, I tag things up and go, that's a fucking fag tag. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, here we go again. You know, it's all kicking off again. But I was like bigger and better and harder and faster by then. What's good is you respond creatively. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I, again, I try and find the love. I try and find the empathy and I try and find the humour. Like, as I keep saying, you know, love, it's, you know, the lie, you know, the fake, the lies, you know what I mean, the truth. So I just try and, I just try and put empathy and, and fun into my work. People see, see very differently because I'm, when they look at my work, they see a lot of anger, but I've taken the anger out of it. The thing that the, the anger was it being bought by a consumer firsthand. The anger is Mother Earth producing the cotton. You know, the anger is 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 the the beginnings of that garment being made in the first place. Mm. You know, because and then it being you know ultimately the anger is it being rejected and thrown away. And the representation of ultimate anger is the rag pile, is the landfill, and the landfill is now ridiculous. You know. You're using your work to comment on that, but also different ways of working, you know, because it doesn't have to be just make new, buy new. It it doesn't have to be that way. There's enough clothes in the world to probably last for a hundred years, I'm sure, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely see, I see, you know, it's commodity, you know, it's a commodity now. And there's so much commodity in the landfill that yeah. I am, you know, enthralled about how I can be happily customising forevermore by just making sure that I can, you know, find new ways forward by making new things from old things um, and making them so futuristic because, again, you know, these brands can't do what I do because they're so caught up in their copyright. They're getting slowly there with um, collaborations yeah. um, between, you know, inf- Instagram stars yeah. and using kind of that yeah. kind of format. But I just, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for the day that Nike, Adidas and Fila do bring out a tracksuit. Um, and that'll probably be done to Invictus Sports, you know. They'll find their way. But at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm only really here and this, platform to talk about the custom build you know what I mean and I think the kids can have loads of fun in their bedrooms creating bedroom ateliers yeah and doing their own thing you know um I think I think that's what is really amazing about your work is the process and techniques which brings me on to that question which is um you know you connect a lot of those influences that you were talking about like the culture jam music um using those influences in your creative process so you use cut-ups collage reassemblage and you sort of subvert what exists which you do through customization and your skill but also through the way you style it as well don't you so you know how about how that's like evolved over time because you can sort of take one thing and you could make it last forever couldn't you by just reinventing it well yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, it's made when it's first produced. It's called First Life Textiles, and I, I, I engaged with it on the Second Life. But yes, I had gone third, fourth, fifth, sixth. I've just done. I've just made a um, re recustomized a pair of jogging bottoms I've had for nearly ten years. Um, and today, the you know the crotch had ripped out of them, so I've just done them again. So yes, it, and they become more and more interesting, and they're and they have 
um, more and more um, understanding of how important the custom build community will be for the future and not just for Mother Earth, but you know, for youth culture itself, because not everybody can do good customization, but there will be somebody in the community that can do it for you. So I can see a future where kids will be taking their wardrobe leftovers to their friend and say, make me something special for the weekend. And there'll be a new economy built around this kind of like liberation of textiles. Yeah. I totally agree with you there. I think that's the interesting thing. When new people, designers, I think, I think yeah. it will create new, and they don't even think they'll be called designers because I think the problem with the 20th century designers, it became punch drunk on patterns and patterns became weaponized and they're now being abused by the fast fashion, which I call the fast clothing industry. Um, and they are just producing a lot of nostalgia now. And nostalgia shouldn't have any place in fashion because it creates melancholy and melancholy is a depressive you know, energy. Um, and fashion is always future, 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 you know? Um, it was, because we don't walk about naked. So we, you know, the look has to be inspiring for the future. Um, and I get, that's why I get hacked off with people calling it the, the fashion industry. It's like, it's not the clothing industry, you know? They're just producing clothing most of the time. Um, and I think, you know, when you reinvent things and you take one thing and you keep it for a long time and then you decide, oh, actually, I want to chop the sleeves off or I want to add some embroidery to it, you know, suddenly it, it's a whole new garment and then it's got a whole new life. And that's what it's like lived experiences of clothes, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Kind of inventing. And, it, and it's just a... You know, it's a state of mind, you know. I get consumerism. I am one. I mean, my whole work is basically because I am a big consumer. I love my fashion. I love my style. Um, but I just felt like I was a billboard to uh, a back pocket of a businessman. And it was very little to do with tribalism anymore. And I've become too aware of the Culture Jam book and Kale Lazin and understanding of that, that takeover of the mind and the fact that, you know, we stick Mickey Mouse all over our kids' bodies when we're really young, so we become so um, intrinsically uh, deep-rooted in its love that we find very, very hard to reject. So when I do things like they make, you know, this, this mask out of a, a super vintage you know, Mickey Mouse top, most vintage buyers are like outraged because this top would have made a lot of money and you've just made a bloody mask out of it. And you just cut its eyes out and ruined it. And I'm like, well, I'd rather do this to break its nostalgia and stare through Mickey Mouse's eyes at you to also I can understand you looking at me with disgrace on your face rather than going, oh, cute Mickey Mouse top. I feel like I've done something for the future and augmented and changed potentially a kid's mind and put it back into a position of being able to say no. And questioning the narratives as well. Absolutely. Um, because we all know that Mickey Mouse came from a very racist kind of point of view, um, but it's been, you know, like most things, fake news out of, you know, the situation because it's so amazingly reproduced over and over and over again that it becomes normalized um, yeah. so 
I like playing within that genre of normalization because I'm, you know, I take the normal and then I make it obscure again. I think I work hand in hand with the brand. I think I, I make the brand relevant again. You know, I think encouraging kids to become bedroom atelier custom builders actually, you know, keeps the brand buoyant and kind of underground and cool again. Yeah, um, and it, it keeps their clothes going as well. It keeps, exactly, it keeps it. And it actually, you know, gives them some kind of greenwash that they can support and understand rather than trying to domineer and take over from it, you know? It's uh, because, you know, there's there's only ever 1% that really get my work and that's all I'm looking for is the 1%. The 99% do their own thing, you know? And, they've, and, they, and they help keep the landfill high and buoyant because you know not every if everybody if everybody adopted the custom build you know there'd be an awful lot of really badly done customization and a lot of really wasted really good sportswear do you know what i mean ruined by people that didn't really know what they were doing so you know i'm only looking for the one percent to understand what i'm doing because that's a huge army as well uh, especially nowadays because you know as well as i do Back in the day when we were, if you wore specifically something fashion, you got your head kicked in. Now fashion's quite a thing now. You know, yeah. it's become styling and, you know, it might be nostalgia styling, but it's still, people are a lot more, you know, willing to wear outrageous things, you know, or be, you know, in an outrageous outfit um, rather than being kind of um, like in Aberdeen, it would have just been a t-shirt, a pair of jeans, you know. Yeah, I feel it's moving more that way as well. That that creative expression after, you know, lockdown and people Mm. being able to express themselves as much, then then coming back out into the world, you know, being able to think about what they're going to wear and kind of getting joy out of that, which is an art in itself. And I think, you know, with your work, that art-fashion relationship, is really key, isn't it? Like it really does cross between fashion and art, but more kind of like deconstruction and reconstruction. Yes, it, well, it, it's it's about realizing there's a positive side to the landfill mountains. Yeah, and out of it, you can create some great new ideas. It doesn't have to be depression. It doesn't have to be. Oh my god, I feel bad about my consumerism. Oh my god. It's like, I, I think, yeah, keep consuming. It's fine. Do you know what I mean? Because I get more shit to play with, you know? Um, you know, and I see the collaborations come around and I go, great, I can't wait to fuck that collaboration up and do something with it. And, you know, stick one collaboration with another collaboration and double collaborations go on, you know what I mean? But it's all unofficial. So it's, again, it's sort of brought back down into the underground, which I call the thunderground. And yeah. it's made it's made unique and, and tribalized, you know? And... and um, and, I, and there, and there, in, in that position, I can feel like I can understand it. Yeah, and, and I can, I, think, I can, I can deal with it. Well, and also you're using all those what would be thrown away items, and then you're you're bringing new life into them. Yeah, it's um, it's landfill dropping. You know what I mean? Rather than yeah. putting landfill up, it's landfill dropping. And like, I love being a pioneer of the landfill drop. Um, I like the fact that my creativity which is frivolous and stupid in some people's eyes is actually landfill dropping it's not landfill upping um i know for you know for for that reason i feel good about myself i feel i feel you know very happy to promote it 
and marketeer it to my students um, and give them the kind of permission they kind of need, because most of them are terrified to put scissors anywhere near, even just a simple gap talk, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've had students who were, you know, did a thing called cut the brand and they had to cut them into ribbons and then just basically make necklaces and, you know, friendship rates. And she refused to cut this Gap t-shirt up. She, all of a sudden, she just started freaking out in the class going, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And I was and like, it's, wow. It's changing yeah. your mindset, isn't it? I think with, you know, students and, you know, designers, it's change of a mindset. And I think, you know, your mantra, which is, rejection breeds reinvention so yeah thrown away and just the whole concepts of that yeah well i'm just trying to always keep positive i'm trying to keep that initial 1988 moment you know where everything was tits up and all of a sudden i was like oh what and then as you said the acid house bleep came in and it was like my mind just clicked into some other new dimension I think it's really responsive, isn't it? Like it's really response to what is there in front of you. And that's where- Yeah, it's, well, really the, the, the intuition and instinctiveness and responsive and, and responsible as well. I like, because I mean, a lot of the time in the rave, I was very, very, very irresponsible. You know, I, I mean, I feel responsible for, you know, opening that pub because I was desperate for my mates and us to get wrecked at our tits and have a late night sessions and all the rest of it and then it turned into you know toxic rave shortage and now shortage has turned into you know the biggest rave den hellhole do you know what I mean and promiscuity shithole going in the world you know what I mean and yeah. it's it's kind of um but out of it you know I have a reason to call something the mashup you know what I mean and have a an actual love and a positive side to be able to say out of out of that hell out of that no man's land of war rave war basically that's what it was because you had so many factions of different drug dealers coming from you know um soho camden and portobello all vibing to sell their ease at the warehouse parties you know and i had my staff all being given backhanders you know what i mean to keep quiet because they could try and domineer you're talking this kind of deep stuff that nobody really gets because only every, most ravers don't give a shit about the what's going on as long as they get their drugs and they find out which party they're at and um, i was one of those kids and i felt disgusted with myself at times how i allowed my hypocrisy to you know shape who i was and that is why i do my work i find i can deal with my hypocrisy quite well and I can shave elements off and I can look at myself in the face regardless of having a mask on I can look at myself and I feel better because when I teach with my students I'm actually giving them something positive and instinctive um, and modern yeah. you know I'm giving them something modern to do with commodity um, instead of raping mother earth for new stuff I can say look guys let's do, do, do this stuff and once they get over the shock and horror of cutting up a Nike, a Nike t-shirt, you know what I mean? They're actually going, oh my God, but if I stick Adidas to it as well, I get double for my money. And their little faces just become like, wow, I've now got a mashup. Oh, I get it now. I'm going, there you go. You know? Yeah, you're offering them alternative choices to the status quo. Well, I'm I'm kind of double weaponizing. I'm like taking the the, the, the trigger out of the weapon and giving them something fun to play with, you know, because they're now wearing a Nike and Adidas and a Fila t-shirt, which they couldn't, can't go to Adidas, Nike or Fila to get. They have to do it themselves. And when you make it yourself and your mates go, oh, wow, I love your t-shirt. 
the energy they get off of knowing they did it themselves, not having bought it, is is quite phenomenal. And know? they keep that for so much longer. And, and they keep it for so exactly. And 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 again, you know, their mate goes, "Well, can you do one for me?" So they become the new postcode customizer, you know, and rather than the sort of new fashion designer, it's like, you know, there they, they, there's a new modern definition of what they're doing because. They're not designing anything. They're taking the pattern of a past and then augmenting it and putting it into, you know, chopping it up and putting it together with other already made patterns to create a custom build. And that is the real essence of creativity, isn't it? I hope so. I hope so. Otherwise, I've been wasting my time for the last 30 years. <laughs> but, you know, that mashup element, I love the idea of brands going over brands sort of accidentally. But visual language is really important to you, isn't it? So, you know, in subverting meaning and how you mash up the logos. Yeah, I, 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 everything I wear is language. custom built and I couldn't live. I mean, you know, the new trend is 90s rave wear and I've always worn 90s rave wear because obviously yeah. I come from the 90s and I was a raver. So um, it's my uniform. It's how I look, you know, it's how I've always looked. But now my stuff is custom built. Um, it's not just a night T-shirt. It's it's something completely else. It's not just a pair of dicky shorts, you know, I've, well, I've, I've added Adidas pockets to them. I've done, you know, I've, I've put in my own tabs and different, you know, I've put a Nike, cut a Nike label out and stuck it into the seam while I'm sewing them up. So they're just looking, going, is that Nike shorts? Or is that Dickie shorts? Like, Adi, what the fuck is that? What are they? You know what I mean? Like you can see. And so it's like, it's like an unofficial collaboration with brands that don't collaborate together. So it's, it's still, you know, it's, I guess, it just brings me back to being positive with modernism, you know? Just trying to do something with, you know, with this buildup of consumerism. Um, yeah, and, it, and takes as I say, away, it takes away that power that branding has over people as well, because. Well, that's a yes. That's a that's a two, that's a you know that's a twentieth century thing, um, and I want to live in the twenty first century with awareness that that is what twentieth century was all about, which is why we had the pop art movement, because it was trying to show us that direction. It's why we had dadism. That's why we have like, Lucio Fontana as an artist cutting his canvases and going, I don't care whether you can paint, what are you painting, why are you painting, and what are you painting for? You know, that's why we have Ray Johnston from the from the, um, the pop art movement, you know, playing around with postcard art and fucking up postal systems and, and questioning the kind of whole idea of mass um, acceptance of a, of a structural uh, situation. Um, these things are important to me to, um, you know, and, and Tim and Sue, their work, you know, I mean, it's just a pile of rubbish, but when it's yeah. backlit, you yeah. know, with lights, splashing lights or whatever you want to see, there's this beautiful shadow of something completely different. You know, that kind of art is to yeah, me... It's showing the hidden, isn't it? Isn't yes, it? it's just beautiful. It's, it's you know, it's, it's unexpected, you know? And it makes me think and it makes me feel and it makes me wonder and it makes me feel modern and it makes me want to be modern and look into the future and not accept the, the status quo. Yeah. And I think like your, your language that you use, like Noki is reverse spells icon, doesn't it? Yes. NHS, it's like a wordplay of Noki House of sustainability, but also yeah. NHS. It's changed again to, I've changed it to, to the NHST, so it's the Noki Hospital of Sustained Textiles, because I was very 
because uh, I did my thing in 2008 and that was pre many years pre-pandemic and I felt very conscious of, of, of being, you know, taking anything piss out of anything to do with the NHS, which has saved lives. And even my masks that I did were non-medical and I didn't want to pass in on any, you know, I'd be saying, you should be making a fortune off a mask. And I was like, look, my masks are not medical, they're art. You know what I mean? If I gave you an, an, these art masks, they may change your mind, but they, you know, if you believe in them to be a mask, they may kill you as well. And I'm not up for that. I want you to know that these are non-medical. You know, and a mask isn't just a mask. You best, if you're going to deal with masks, wear a proper medical mask, you know. Mine are, mine are aesthetic art um, veneers, you know. And that was important to me, so that's why I changed it to the NHS tees. It was more, I kept bits of the doctor and the fun bit, but I was very conscious of it just being NHS. Um, yeah, because humour and communication and messaging is really important, isn't it? Yes. Well, I was a very early doctor of memes, you know. So, you know, when people, when I was rocking looks back in Shoreditch days and they were saying Nike, Adidas and Hula pieces and Stussy saying sissy and Adidas, you know, and LSE was saying sexless. And people were going, wow, what's that? I don't get it. What's that? And I said, shh, it's a Nokia. And they go, why, what's a Nokia? I said, that's what a Nokia is. And I was playing meme games in people's minds yeah. about what Nokia was which was this thing that looked like the brand but it actually wasn't the brand um it was a Nokia, and, and you know I was, as i say i was an early adopter of the meme scene um within the fashion magazines because there was such a well there was very few fashion mags at the time so it was easy to domineer them for really 10 years there's a lot you know the top stylists in the world were always really into my work because they got the, the kind of playful fun daddist kind of you know pop art you know subvert billboard and visually um, it's really good doesn't it when well I, I hope <laughs> I do hope I kind of have a certain kind of styling grace about my styling yeah so that's I mean that is that is important uh, that you can you know custom build something into looking like a, a look because um, it feels like styling that you did styling didn't you was it at MTV um, yes, I was. Yeah, I was a stylist at MTV. So you can imagine being surrounded by MTV world and rails and rails of branded product and boxes of branded stuff being sent in for you to use. So you knew you were like part of the machine of marketeering and all the rest of it. So you can understand a bit more why I wanted to sort of culture jam into all that and uh, play play games with it all. You know, your designs work, and that's another thing I really love about it. Is you can style it in many different ways. It's not like, you know, you've almost you've invented it to be worn in many different ways. In the different yeah, aspects. it's it's well, it has to be transient. Yeah, because yeah, it has to be because it you know it it cuts into nostalgia. Um, you know, to wear a seventies look in the two thousand twenty one is just nostalgic seventies. It's not. 2021 you know so you know for instance like to be able to cut into flare jeans and then put in tech pockets and you know add in shapes and forms to a 70s look to augment it and move it on to the 21st century is important in my work but then you know how long does a look last before it becomes nostalgic again so you know to be able to like cut up those those ideas and then redo them which brings me back to second life third life fourth life fifth life is is what i'm trying to encourage in new youth because 
that is, you know, the pieces they will make, then they give them to their brothers and sisters because obviously they move on. And, you know, fashion is not for everybody. It doesn't have to keep changing. This is only for the 1%. You know, I'm only ever looking for the, the one percenters. They're the ones that really get it and they're really ones that want to get it and be, you know, a, sh- a shaper of society, you know. Yeah. It's, um, it, you know, the, think- 99, the 99% will always do their thing, you know. They're the ones that pay the taxes, you know. Yeah. I think that approach, though, for, you know, second, third, fourth life in reinventing in it, you know, having one thing in it, it lasts for 20, 30 years. Mm. And being able to either do that yourself or, you know, give that to a designer to do or a textile artist um, or an artist. I think for me, that is the future. I think those are the sort of new roles and new economies that are needed. No, I don't, I mean, the, designer, the designer and their, their kind of creation, the designer these days with their inspirations is like they see a customised piece and they go, oh, I could make patterns out of that. They'll leave it alone because it's all about the landfill drop, not about the landfill up. Because yeah. unless you're using, you're taking your designer patterns and cutting it out of the landfill commodity, yeah. then you're just adding to the problem again yeah. and you're not actually being a modern designer. So to just take generic rolls of fabric and stick your patterns on it and cut it out and then make multiples for your need to be a designer and become money orientated and 20th century designer, you've got to think about what you're doing with those patterns and where the commodity from those patterns comes from for it to feed into anything positive for the 21st century because there's enough landfill and it doesn't need any more. And also, ultimately, you're just being like Boohoo. You're just being like those sort of companies with just patterns and multiples, multiples. I truly believe that all, the real kind of like underground youth movement is going to be customizing their customization of they're going to be customizing their customizing. Yeah. And it's going to be, it's going to make for a beautiful, unusual collage of the future. Yeah. And I think it'd be layers and layers of creativity. Like, yes. And history, a history attached to garments rather yeah, than so humorous moments. Yeah. It's a whole storytelling. And I think, you know, when going on to the next question of subcultures in tribalism, I think that's part of it. You know, mm. being able to create an item of clothing and that you can pass down and then it's got all these different stories that you can go, oh, that element on it was this this time and moment in my life that element was when I was in my 30s that element was when I was in my 40s and you pass down that piece of like almost like a clothing artwork but I know you know the storytelling is a real big part of your work isn't it and how you produce it and how you talk about it and I think your work also you you kind of reinvent subcultures and create tribes through your collages but also characters because you've got your mask your different mask yeah. put on throughout this interview and then you've yeah. got the fashion mask uh, monster collection that was the fashion out. monster collection yeah that was a really that was me engaging with university and how to get them get the students to um deal with the negativity of the landfill because there was a real kind of like agenda going on at art schools um, about how to deal with sustainability and it was giving an awful lot of students anxiety about was it worth it because you know they were so caught up in 
in in in it in consuming that they would rather go to Primark to buy a studded cap rather than stud their own cap. Does that make sense? You know. Oh yeah. Totally. Um. So I was like, okay, well let's 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 harness this anxiety and call it a monster, and it's made from fashion. Um, so let's create fashion monsters and um, it had to be masked and it had to be, you had to work in pairs so you had to collaborate so it was a bit like the collaboration so the two people working on one monster and they had to build these monsters out of textiles any form or sustainable thinking they could possibly go to so it was either skips or wardrobes or friends and family or call outs or going to second hand shops you know um, just finding, you know, things that were left um, rather than consumed. And they would drag them back all to the studio and start building these. And I've never seen such an amazing creativity in all my life. It's, it's, it's really great to see the, the new St. Martin's collections coming out that happened over lockdown because it was, it just reminded me of fashion monsters all over again. So it's, it, it culminated in a great exhibition that was in the uh, Canadian consulate in Trafalgar Square. So there was kind of fa fashion monsters in the windows of the consulate. So they were culture jamming in, in the, next to the plinth. So I was really pleased to see that nothing can go somewhere. Yeah. Um, um, what is important for the 21st century, how, how we live for the 21st century. Yeah, and how we how we educate future designers as well, you know, because we both work in education, don't we? And I think giving that space mm. to have different narratives, different um, ways. Well, I only want to educate custom builders. I'm not interested in yeah. being even using the word designer because yeah. it, it 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 pulls so much stuff from the 20th century forward, including the big brands and all the rest of it, and the idea of being a designer. Yeah. I'm only interested in creating CBers, you know, um, because I want to keep the element of subversive um, energy going. So they, you know, they're cutting the designer piece. They're sewing it back together to create the custom build. And it's, and it's, yes, it's an element of design. I completely agree. But for now, I just want to create, you know, uh, a new breed of creativity and it's called the custom build. Mm. yeah through through my work i just i just think it's a kind of tribe that needs to be given its own title what do you mean i said well we are all very used to watching you know car custom builders you know they mm. go into the scrap yards and they rip apart loads and loads of cars and come up with these amazing machines um it's using what exists but it's well yes i mean it's, it's trying to well, I mean, every kid, every youth has got a wardrobe bursting with stuff, mm. let alone their brothers and sisters, let alone their mum and dad. So every household has potentially the most amazing custom builds that they can do themselves in their bedroom under their bedroom atelier idea and come out of that bedroom ready for the, the next rave, looking the dog's bollocks. And I think what I love about that as well is the sort of DIY culture is it's not passive, it's active. 
Yes. You, can, you participate in it and you contribute to it. Yeah. You don't just... Well, it's an open energy. It's very much an open energy. You, you, you dig and you open and you rip apart, like... I think it's self-glory, I think. You know, it's designed for design's sake these days. That's why we're in this kind of like nostalgia loop. You know, it's just let's find some secondhand clothes and just reproduce them again. Yeah. So the custom build, I think, is a reboot that goes right into the rag pile. Um, and become, it, makes, it makes new, super new out of the boring old. Yeah. So that brings me on to collaborative projects. You know, thinking about yes. how you custom build, and that's a really important to you, isn't it? And you, you've got such an array of different ones from back to 2002 with Adidas, um, the Oink Not Piss Boot, Regeneration of Textiles and Dead Stock Piles, the well, Kick actually, Collaboration, it, 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 Kickstand. I had, yeah, the Adidas trainer was like the first time when they started like um, finding out about my work. Um, they asked me to do a do a project called I Signed. And it was four of us. There was Saskia von Drillman, Costa Makudos, and Bless. Um, and I was the British part of it all. Um, and it was to customize the forum boot. So the original forum boot. Um, I did that, so did Bless and Costa Makudos and Saskia von Drillman. They did the the uh, what did they do? The they did the Stan Smith and uh, yes, I, so I, I, I got, I re, re, I cut it up and recreated the kind of tongue and the, the stand, <coughs> the, the whole sort of lacing system. And um, I called mine the Noki Piston, but it had to be, and I got to be able to subvert it into Oink Not Piss as well. So, it was by a complete fluke because the German guy had said, what do you want to call it? So I just sort of like said to him over the phone, O-I-N-K-N-O-T-P-I-S. And because of the translation to German, he didn't really know what he was writing down. So it got changed to Oink, not Piss. So I, it actually says O-I-N-K-N-O-T-P-I-S instead of Noki Piston, which written on a trainer is pretty full on. Yes. And it and it really confuses guys because the shape is is beautiful. I, I, you know, I, even though I say so to this day, it's it's a twenty first century shape. Yeah. And when you and I've worn them out and about, and you can see the boys checking the trainer out, and they're like looking at it, going "fuck, what are they?" And then they read the name "oink not piss," and they <laughs> they literally snap their neck up and look at you and say, "What the fuck are you wearing?" You know. So it's kind of it was a very important project because. It was the first sustainable upper. Well, I think it is, um, yeah. because it was at that time. I don't think I there was think any recycled trainers was. at the time. For sure. Um, Nineteen ninety nine, uh, they recycled all the different textiles from their, from their, um, from their factories, um, and they were made in the German, the German factory, because um, I didn't want them to be made in any sweatshop situation. So. They're made in Germany and they're the first sustainable upper. So you're talking 1999 before sustainability was even talked about. I know. So I'm very pleased and I'm very proud of them. And I still think that they're... Stand the test of time. You know, the 21st, the trainer of the 21st century. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I, and literally from then on, I stuck with the whole concept of sustainability. And then it was, it was galvanised in 2008. 
with the Noki House of Sustainability, which is now the Noki Hospital of Sustained yeah. Textiles. Um, you did the um, matches one as well, matches fashion. Well, yeah, and that moved. That was Natalie Kingham. She she know my work. She, so you probably <clears throat> would have been shoulder to shoulder with her as well in the, the Dragon Bar because she's yeah. known my work. She came to me saying she'd known my work from way back then. And Ollie, my curator, he knows her and she said she was doing something for the sustainable section called, um, it's called Innovators. Um, she went, if I do sustainability, I really don't feel it, it would be as powerful if you didn't do a collection for it. So it was, it was very flattering, uh, but it didn't feel like it was smoke blown up. It was very much like she'd seen my work back in the days and actually been part of it. Um, had gone on to become quite powerful within fashion in her whole, in her own right, and really wanted to support my custom build. And she said, "Would you build, you know, custom build a collection for us? Um, let's see how it goes, and you know, you might get another another go at it." So yeah, we did three of them, so it was good. Um, and I got we worked with Jerry King on the last one, and she cut up those of floral <clears throat> dresses, and then we. Floral and um, applicate them onto over the top of all the Nike and Adidas t-shirts, and I made these big t-shirt dresses, and they made loads. As I say, they, they were the magazines. So back in the day, I was sewing two t-shirts together to create what was called a cloth magazine. And uh, that's maybe the stuff that you remember back in the. So basically, I would sew the seams together, and one brand would hang upside down. So it was subverting the brand upside down, and I put lots of brands, lots of these sewn t-shirts together to create a cloth magazine. So it kind of pulled me back to being part of the Dadist movement and, you know, that kind of cutting into a magazine or cutting into a book. So I'd create my own cloth magazine and I'd cut into my own book um, to get the words out of it. Just I so I could connect. you're not being over precious then. You know, you're always open to reinventing it all the time, you know, because some designers, it, it becomes so precious, doesn't it? Whereas yeah. you know, that's an openness you've got you know, with your creativity and how you approach your work, which is it, more... Well, it has to be that way, Rachel. It has to be that way, Rachel, because, you know, at some point, design becomes nostalgic, you know, and then it get, becomes precious and it becomes worthy and it becomes collectible and then it's stuck in time and then it's copied by other people because they've got no ideas, you know. Um, I would like to think that I just treat my stuff as commodity, like, okay, I need that thing off it now. So I'm going to cut that bit out and go to put it on this. So that color looks really good on this one. So I have to be, and, and I have to also teach that to my students yeah. that you have to be open to that. So if you need that piece off of that one, just cut it off and stick it on your new piece. You and know? it's resourceful, isn't it? Resourceful. Yes, it, it's, just, it's just free flow. It's about like, when I was, into, you know, when you're into body pop and your body flows, it's that kind of mind flow. When you're dancing to the tunes, the DJ hits, your body reacts, it's flow. So, you know, I need to be able to flow. Yeah. I need to be able to be modern. I need to be able to react instinctively. And evolve and that, as well, isn't it? Because you're mm. evolving, you're not... I think that's what's really great and what makes your work so timeless is you're not, you're not, you know, like with branding, sometimes they overbrand so much, they get stuck in that, 
you know whereas you're you're constantly reinventing you're being open and you're you're always evolving so your work is always fresh because of that well it's 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 just utilizing commodity as a way of communicating freedom yeah um because unfortunately a lot of commodity is depleting freedom as we are as we know now you know our oceans are full of microplastics you know the dumps are you know leaking you know sludge like liquid into the water table you know it's being sent across to africa and being dumped into oceans you know we're not we cannot ignore the fact that we have knowledge it's not a conspiracy theory anymore fashion industry is the second most pollutant of the of the two and it's in hand in hand with the worst which is the oil industry because polyester comes from oil um, and it's not good enough to just use cellulose because that's trees and it's also not good enough to start wearing cotton organic cotton and bamboo because that's just a water depleter of ridiculous you know gallons um, upon gallons so I feel much freer and punk rave in a sense to custom build from what's already been ripped and torn mm. you know um and that to me make, puts me into the no man land which is what the dad has talked about you know there's so this warring factions and the killing fields and all the rest of it um and i have a, a love for when the two warring factions had christmas together and they came out of the trenches and had Christmas together. So those gifts that they were passing over to each other and being and saying hello and how are you and I'm sorry and using words that and being peaceful to each other. Um, those gifts they handed over to each other. I kind of want to be making those gifts. Yeah. Those gifts are what I custom build. And that's um, where the empathy comes in as well, isn't it? Yes, that kind of moment. People as people, rather than... And as, yes, people as people, rather than being kind of used as fodder for the few, you know, um, and using the majority to for the few, that kind of thing that Dad has talked about. Um, and, and enter that no man's land and try and do something with the self-destruction. Um, which brings me back to why I first started in the first place, because I felt I was, I was self-destructing. You know, the drink and the drugs was getting to me. The atmosphere of bricklayers was starting to completely freak me out. Um, the infiltration of all different tribes, I didn't understand anymore. Um, and then passing on my job and leaving it, felt I felt guilty. Um, and then again, I felt guilty again when I was sort of abandoned my NTV job because I just knew it wasn't for me either. And then in 1998, um, a T-shirt was put on a model called Giselle, uh, photographed by David Sims, created and styled by Anna Coburn. And it blew my situation up because I got myself into ID and I just saw that I culture jammed ID, pages of ID and the pages of Sleaze Nation. And I just felt like I was actually living practicing what I was preaching um, and I knew I had to sort of keep it going and hence why I, went, I did the Adidas because the Adidas trainer was like what am I doing is this not working with the devil and that kind of situation is this not going against it but then because it was made in the factory in Germany and because they you know were happy to recycle textiles I just knew that I had done something fresh I know now 
that there's no other trainer like it because it was a pioneering trainer of its time. And it kind of still is. I mean, you do get sort of recycled stuff, but not as raw and not as, yeah, dated, not as dateable as 1999. I think there's true value in that, isn't there? And, you know, talking about challenges and then how you've used creativity to respond to those again. I still have 12 pairs left tucked away in a, in a lockup. So they're, and they're like nine grand a pair now. So, so I'm hoping to sort of like do something in the future waiting for the right people to get the whole thing and do an exhibition with the last 12. Yeah, I love that idea. You know, more valuable, but in, in a true sense, not just in a monetary sense, you know, the value in Yeah, that I mean, idea. each pair, each pair is one off as well. It's, it's crazy to when I look at them and I get them out ever so often, I look at them all and each pair is, is different. Each red, different textile, they're all made from different red textiles. And, you know, there's suede, there's cord, there's reflective, there's, you know, it's just, it's for all the different things they've made over the years, all the different products that they have made with, you know, Adidas products, and they just beautifully made these trainers, these um, the Nokia pistons from them. So it was a really beautiful project. I really enjoyed the process. It was wonderful working with the, the German factory. The man was really, really responsive and utterly understood what I was doing reacted to the shapes because I was I mean you imagine back in 99 I was chopping up yeah their Adidas trainer and handing it back when I wanted to look like this now he just he, he gave it back to me two samples later it was beautiful you know I was like no way have you literally given me this fucking trainer it looks like this you know yeah it's like fuck wow and everyone's one off and it's got made in Germany on the tongue tag I was like, wow, this is like, I can't, this is like art piece, you know, it's like industrial art. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but even then, it's not, it's like unique pieces. I was like, can't even really say it's industrial. It's actually industry and art Custom really built again. well together. Um, so again, that's interesting in itself. It's like a hidden, hidden corporate <laughs> kryptonite. <laughs> uh, another project again? that's really important to you is the perishing collection 2019 oh yeah well that was working with Catherine Hamlet and she is like you know that lady is the queen of of sustainability and really you know was the queen of branding as well back in the days I mean in the 80s she I mean she invented the diffusion line which she said in her own words it was the worst thing she ever did because it just sort of like shaped the rest of the 80s and de denounced a lot of this sort of idea of designer wear and yeah, made it cheap and affordable. Um, but it is what it is. And, you know, she came to me, um, she re had reinvented her whole kind of structure. had got her own factories and her own plantations and really done everything ethical and sustainable. And she said, I have got to admit that I have dead stock. And the only person I really want to deal with that and be open and honest with it is with Dr. Noki because he has been dealing with it, you know, and I've known his work for donkeys and there was a collaboration formed and it was called the Perishing Collection. And I was really sort of like blown away by her honesty and her need to deal with, you know, a situation within her own um, backyard. And I basically took most of her dead stock and built this perishing collection and we sold it on 
our website and it's all sold. So it was a it was a way of trying to, you know, and this is this, this kind of thing. I was, you know, from simple fade printing. Yeah. A, a famous choose love t-shirt. So I do this sort of fade print. So when I screen print, when I fade print, I'm always just doing a you know an art unique art pool each time. It's not just a generic color. Um, and she got my ideas, um, and she always had loads of fun. It was fun. It was a kind of uh, serious fun project, if that makes sense, to try and create what was called an up fusion. So she was she had invented diffusion line, and I said, why don't we call it an up fusion? You know, it's an up fusion of us both. It's your textiles and my custom build. And between the two of us, we are pushing, you know, street couture um, and supporting kind of like an upper upper level of creativity within sustainability. She loved all that. So yeah, um, you're showing how it could be done from, you know. Well, how it can, yeah. As you say, it was showing that it can be done if the right people let the truth, yeah, come out. Yeah. Because obviously it had to come from Catherine Hamlet admitting that she had even her ethical sustainability, she had backlog and overproduction and dead energy within her structure. So, and what she wanted to do with it was hand it over to me as the artist and do something about it um, and make it positive again. So that was that was a really lovely moment, um, and that dealt with that dealt with hypocrisy really well. Um, and we just seemed to gel and it made sense and the, the whole collection was great. And, and that spawned on to another one, which was exactly, very similar with Katie Grand. And she she let me deal with um, Willie's front cover T-shirts for Love magazine. And we did another upfusion with that. Um, it's a very similar technique. And that was sold for charity on the Love. And that was another one. So it spawned and that was all masks. It was all full on. Um, and that was beautifully photographed by Willie himself. And it was, you know, so it can, the upfusion can take the problem and push it back into the consumerist system again and be positive. You yeah. know, because none of it was a landfill up, it was all landfill drop. And it's re-energizing it, isn't it? It's a bit like- It's making it exciting again, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's all the thing is trying to, you know, like collections, designer collections upon collections are so chucked away and so ignored and, the, you know, the mood board ripped down and a brand new one put up um, that, you know, I just refuse for the mood board to be ripped down. Yeah, and it's... I want the mood board to be added to, you know, so... All the clutter, like clothes clutter, and then, you know, how that collects kind of dead energy in a way. But yeah. by re-bringing it back out and reinventing it, you're you're re-energizing it, aren't you? Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's just finding the energy flow, um, and you know, and sticking green energy in it again. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking about how you know those those collaborations that you've done, and you know what I personally think is important for the future is you know, a DIY approach, but also exploring outside of fashion mainstream. What do you, what do you think of that? Do you, you know, because sometimes I think fashion can get lost in 
sort of narratives from the fashion institutions or industrialized versions is marketplace. And I think sometimes the interesting stuff with fashion is happening outside of those worlds. So I think, I mean, the, the institutions themselves are always looking for something that's edgy um, and positive to be done with, but it's up to them whether they, they, they can deal with the edge being really edgy. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You know, it depends. The edge being so sharp that it's directionally cut straight into the future. Um, and whether they can understand that and build structures around the cut to let it heal in the positive way. That's what I'm looking for. For me, I'm looking for a, you know, a philanthropist, a young philanthropist, because it's so, you know, that can get what I'm doing to help. I mean, I want to do a school. That's what I would want to do. I want to create a school, which is called the Noki Nest, um, the Noki Education Sustained Textiles and Technology, that can train up the future you know, custom builders. I want to be able to give them my DNA. Yeah, you know, I give them my, their, my custom build ideas. You know, from the just from the overprint T-shirt to the cutting the eyes out to making the mask to the magazine. You know, to you know the billboard jacket, all the different things I've done over the thirty years, and give them some kind of rules so they can break those rules. Um, because not until you give kids rules do they want to break them. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just otherwise they're just feral, you know. Um, and we all know through psychology and all the rest of it, kids need some kind of rules. Um, we all need some kind of rules, and I just want to give them the positive angle. I want to give them the, you know, I want to give them as if as if it's like you know, like like as if it was McDonald's and it was like like the franchise. I want to be able to franchise out Noki, show the kids how to flip the burgers. Um, flip the rag into a Noki style and then they, can you imagine the ideas that would flow from the youth movement? Yeah, and the way that they I, think, I think this is a perfect time to do it, you know, because one, um, there's so many new ways of educating yourself, right? Yeah. Today, and I think there's so many ways to raise funds for what you do in different ways that are more sustainable, you know, which I'm trying to explore through this podcast. And there's yeah. alternatives. And I think sometimes, you know, people get fed this one mantra or one way, but actually there's, when you start exploring, there's millions of different ways to create in the world and do good. And I think, you know, well, I mean, I, 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 you know, really, really amazing because you would end up creating loads of new fashion cultures. And new new yeah. ways of working, and it's a legacy in itself, isn't it? It's like there's a whole there's a whole new world called sustainability now, and the climate change, you know, the Johnny Rotten climate change that's kicking off right now, is ripping apart society. C nineteen is totally devastated society. It's, start, it's trying to, society is trying to come out of it with a new way forward for humanity. And I'd like to be part of the exciting evolution of sustainability, especially in a textile world where the commodity is so landfill buoyant and saturated that I'm taking it as a positive. I'm not seeing it, I don't enter it negatively at all. I don't go, oh God. I go, wow, 
you know, and I want to be able to take students by the hand to it and go, see all this, we can really make some exciting stuff out of it and, and sell it back. Be part of a new circular economy for yeah, consumerism yeah. that then can then, you know, through the teachings of the, the nest can spawn a new generation of custom builders, um, which will ultimately create new ideas around design for sustainability. But until then, I'm only, as I say at the moment, really interested in creating a kind of subculture called custom build so that the students feel that they're doing something fresh for the 21st century, not necessarily dragging the ideas of the design element of pattern cutting into from the 20th century into the 21st century, because the landfill is full of patterns. It just depends how you approach them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and also that's more of a lived experience, isn't it? Rather than this consumed or designing to consume. Yeah, what well, you mean, the design for design's sake? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, you know, how many brands are out there where it used to be a Ralph Lorenz horse and now it's a banana, a pineapple, you know, and an, an avocado embroidered there, but it's still a T-shirt, you know? So it's design for design's sake. It's not, you know a new t-shirt it's just the same idea with somebody else's ego embroidered into it and you know i'd rather use the rafter n leftovers than go anywhere near the pineapple and the avocado you know so i as i say another thing is i you know i always want to say there's an awful lot of bootlegging going on at the moment and that's one thing i'm refuse to be pulled into is being a bootlegger because i work hand in hand with the brand i use the quality of the brand textile I just custom build into it. Um, I'm not ripping it off. I just custom build with it. You know, I'm not trying to be the brand. I'm trying to work with the brand yeah. um, and create another subculture of sustainability using it because its 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 elements are in my work and it makes my it makes the custom build exciting because there are ticks and trifoils and fila f's and you know sunrise. <laughs> LSEs in the custom build of how I approach it anyway, because that's my culture. I came from the deep rave of 88. So I grew up with these idents and they are important to me. You know, that's why when I say, you know, the banana, the avocado and the pineapple are not important to me. There's somebody else's ident. Mm. Um, they're, 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 they're kind of 99% consumers. You know, I'm only interested in the kind of 1%, you know, of the original idea of what rave was. And it was those kind of brands, um, which is why I did the Adidas trainer because Nike hadn't approached me and Adidas had. And I was like, wow, well, at the time, I only ever wore Adidas. I refused to wear Nike because I'd made some kind of pact with myself in the 90s that if I was going to get, if I'm reading Culture Jam, then I've got to decide, you know, which side of the hypocrisy I'm on. And it happened to be Adidas because Adidas was Europe. And I decided, you know, I didn't, you know, I stopped wearing Nike and personally and just started wearing Adidas completely and, that, and then this trainer came along and I felt like I all of a sudden was part of some kind of thought process that made sense at that time and the the Rocky Piston came out of it and you know as I say when I show it to trainer heads they're like fucking hell what is this you know mm. um, so it's still a modern 21st century trainer even now um, I was thinking about when you were saying there also about 
you know, rave culture, which is a big part of what you do in 88. And actually thinking about, you know, current times, like with COVID and the different challenges, because 88 was quite a challenging time politically, wasn't it? And what was going yeah. on in the world. Yeah. And, you know, that, that was tearing it apart. Absolutely. Yeah. Clause 28 was kicking in. Everything was yeah. blowing up. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about sort of, you know, COVID-19 and over lockdown, that, you know, people... Well, AIDS, AIDS was the big thing at the time, you know what I mean? Yeah. AIDS was a massive thing at the time, but it was a minority and who cared about gays dying at that time, you know? It was, it was the, the Reagan era, you know? And that and Rock Hudson was their best friend for a while until they realised he was a homosexual and he was dying of the great disease and they completely distanced themselves from it. And it wasn't until Elizabeth Taylor took over and you know, put some humanity and, you know, empathy back into the situation and Liza Minnelli and, you know the real stars of that time you know the real yeah. the real actresses not some you know political actor you know did something of it and cap luckily captured the imagination of the intellectual thinker and lady diana kicked in and you know society started to bond around a situation which should never have gone to epidemic levels as it did um but it did and um and I think that's why, you know, that was that response, wasn't it? You're like people were like, how can I creatively express, but how can I deal with all this stuff going on? And how how can I, you know, so people were dancing, they were making art because, you know, at the end of the day, those are our primitive things that we do, isn't it? You know, we, we want to create, we want to dance, we like listening to music as human beings. You know, and I think, you know, COVID, it's almost like people have had a bit of a priority check, some anyway. And, you know, there was the rise in the sort of DIY culture and, you know, you've got a few more dead stock designers. There's more social enterprises being set up. Mm, mm. That's great stuff to see that kind of new wave of, of, of um, conscious thinking, you know, taking us back to hip hop um, and De La Soul you know, conscious fashion, you know, um, conscious textiles, conscious thinking, conscious altruism, you know, that kind of stuff. Because there was a conveyor belt pre-19 that was just rape and slaughter, you know. Yeah. It was just literally nothing could be done except for collaboration after collaboration, new, 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 new. And then TK Maxx opened up to deal with it. And then that used to just be about soaking up. Yeah. the leftovers but then we started to realize that the designers were actually making stuff for tk maxx you know and then that dream yeah. started to fall apart and you know it was like so and, and again also, i really don't you know this is somebody else's argument i'm just i'm re regurgitating is that again there's just mountains more of stuff to custom build from and i love it you know that's what i'm only here on this platform to talk about is the, the love of the custom build of where it can go, the potential it can create and how modern the 21st century can look and be and thrive from. And it does feel like some things have shifted, you know, even slightly, doesn't it? Because yeah. you've got like, you know, TikTok, you've got the DIY movement on there. There's yeah. what I called personalization. Yeah, absolutely. Lives. There's, there's, there's bits. Clothes, learning how to make their own clothes. I like know so many people who learn yeah. how to sew over lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. Then, that's... You know, 
the larger companies like Selfridges are happy to respond to that. So they've got that Project Earth. You know, yeah, yeah. Challenging the way we shop, which is, you know, opening it up to a more... It's, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's literally, there's obviously new, like art directors that have gone in and went we have to deal with this i.e we have to deal with our hypocrisy like i talked about before as my art it's about me dealing with my hypocrisy we have to deal with this what is our response and i think the responses are been very good you know i bring you know brings back to what i was saying katie grand's response to her excess and her thing she went knocky would you do something with it and we did this great project and it was photographed beautifully and it was sold for charity so there are art directors out there that are getting the an understanding what can be done, you know, Catherine Hamlet again, dealing with it. So it's, it's, I'm really hopeful for the future about yeah. the custom build. That opens up more creative roles, doesn't it? And more opportunities. And mm. then from a sustaining practice point of view, different ways mm. to sustain a practice as well. Mm -hmm. Which I think it's really good. But, you know, what do you hope to encourage? I know I'm now imagining this knocky school which I think is <laughs> well it's it's for me to I, I mean I I, I, I it's like a, I want to be able to create a legacy you know I don't just want to be some weird obscured odd character in a mask that once did a few chopper up a few t-shirts there was a deep-rooted artistic endeavor behind it all I know and I have a you know back catalogue of canvas art where I've cut up many 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 t-shirts and I have fucked with nostalgia and I've re-augmented it and created new narratives and this stuff doesn't just happen overnight, you know? Um, and that legacy, I want to be able to bring up philosophy. I want to be able to put into a school and, you know, it being a working studio. So the students themselves, when they make custom builds, put it back into the school and they're sold on the shop and it brings money back in. So there's a circular economy being created within the school. So their samples aren't even just samples. Our samples are actually production that i.e they're going at the school they're not having to leave the school to go and do a placement they're actually in the school being the placement yes. learning like co-face sustainable creativity and every time they custom build they're learning how to shape and form and applique and sew and stitch you know within their own little nest area um, of the school and, and bringing fresh ideas you know and to the school people that they're creating for as well yes i mean the great thing is one thing i learned about the fashion console is that you know many students copy other students because they don't have many good ideas when they see one student who's got great ideas they're looking over the shoulder and you know there's a lot of idea thieving going on mm -hmm. but with the fashion monster that's quite difficult to do because you're all bringing in your own textiles and it can be jumpers to car seats to Bits, you know, so no student has the same commodity to build the same monster. So copying is very difficult to do. Yeah, it's more personalised, isn't it? It's super personalised, you know, which is beautiful to see. And then you get like 20 monsters in a room and it's completely turned the idea of competition into just joyous representation of creativity. Yeah. And the amount of higher level students will come into the classroom just to look at the fashion monsters. And that was a big thing that Eleanor Renfrew, who's always been my academic champion, she'd never heard of third year students praising first years. She'd never heard of it. It just didn't happen, JJ. But when I, when they, but they would literally go, Eleanor, why have we not been doing the fashion monster project? She went, well, that works great. And she'd never heard of that 
crossover from that trickle down from third year to first year, complimenting first years on their creative endeavours. And she went, that's completely so new, G. Right, it's so creative. That's project. never happened before. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. and you know, she says, and I still I still mark the first years that you've done. I still I've seen them over the years reference their fashion monster in their final collections. Yeah. Yeah. That and doesn't happen does. either. A project carries right through four years and it, and it comes out the other end. So, so that's why I want to be able to take that legacy and put it into my own school to try and because it was because it was purely instinctive. It wasn't. It was just an idea. Eleanor used to employ me back when she was at Ravensbourne, and it was just a bit simple T-shirt stuff back then, you know. And I was, um, and then she moved over to Kingston, and she was like, "JD, what would you like to do? I want you to start teaching here as well." So I said, "Over time, we would do cut the brand, where you'd shred up T-shirts, and then you know there'd be knitters and sores, all that kind of stuff, or we'd do the you know new part alphabet, which we get them to." chop up the ABC and then make words and have discussions about what words were and how important words were to them and what words were important to them and, you know, go down that road of academic thinking. And then Fashion Monster was the big thing because it, it actually was a physical incantation of creativity and using sustainable textiles in one go. And as I say, it, would, it went from, you know, sort of 10 students doing, you know, 10, 10, 10 monsters to rooms full of 20, you know, as, as, the, as the amount of students grew and grew and grew with the new form of um, academia. So which made the room very exciting. So when you've got like 20 room, you know, 20 <laughs> fashion monsters in a room, it was, it was like being in the Star Wars canteen. <laughs> yeah. And yet, you know, literally in the car Star Wars canteen. So that was exciting. Yeah, I said you've got an intuitive approach. I suppose it comes from breaking all the rules and having to making those rules work because it's already it's all fine breaking rules, but what are you breaking them for? Why are you breaking them, and what are you breaking them into? You know, it's a bit like what like Fontana when he slashed his canvases and stabbed them and you know put shockwaves into the painting fraternity by saying, "So what if you could paint?" You know. Why are you painting? What are you painting, and who are you painting for? That kind of idea, um, and I got that because it was like, well, why am I chopping up this T-shirt? Why am I putting them together? What am I doing? You know, and I suppose I was like, well, if I do that, I'm walking about with something that nobody else has and nobody else can get unless I make them for them or I encourage them to make them. Uh, so that's where I am right now is trying to build a sort of. Place an altruistic place that I can farm my ideas out to the young mind to then see them go. But I'm going to do it this way. It's great you show me that, but I'm going to do it that way. Well, that's that's what has to happen, you know. That's, that 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 to me is is like saying, you know, impress me, don't bore me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I was bored before I started chopping things up, you know, and doing the mash up. Um, I really was bored and again it was mental health again I was like and then once I made the mask and once I chopped bits up and then I started getting people going oh, what is that and then you know doing art shows and getting known for this mashup art style um, I was very bored of myself I didn't know what to do with myself um, I certainly wasn't happy being an MTV stylist that was horrendous you know yeah. um, I mean I kind of enjoyed 
styling in magazines, you know, where I was like writing on the billboards in the street what the model was wearing instead of having to do, you know, the credits. So I would do the credits on the actual shoot itself. That's why your work seems to always evolve, I think, because you're always questioning, which is a good thing, I think, critically questioning. What you well, that comes back to my childhood of being blown apart as its victim in a village. Yeah. Because I was like, what? And what? I've got what? I don't understand. And then what? Oh, my God. And you're out of me. Ah, oh, my God. Well, that bit's true, but that bit's not. Ah, oh, God, that's quite funny. Actually, I can't be laughing at that because that's me. I'm, You know what I mean? So mm. I've been... My, you know, my brain's been torn apart in all kinds of directions. And when that happens at the age of 14, that's when they talk about the synapses of your mind being re-augmented. I think it put me in, in a, a good place for the future. Mm. You know, it put me into a place where I could understand the, <laughs> you know, they talk about the, um, the voices in your head, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I was like, all right, okay, you know. Um, you know, the lies, the truth and the humour is what Noki is. Lies, truth and humour. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have AIDS. I was gay and that was funny. You know, I did find it actually quite funny because, as I say, some other kid was called Hudson. I would have probably joined in, Rachel. You know, kids are kids. And as I say, another one happened when I was tagging up Shoreditch and then they realised I was gay. I was, it was a fag tag. Noki was a fag tag. It's, graffiti back in the 90s and shortest was super heterosexual there was no gays playing that game you know what I mean yeah you know sure. it was proper heterosexual stuff so I had to battle my ground in amongst a whole heap of hardcore graffiti artists you know what I mean it's and some of them are still friends now but some of them hated me you know what I mean because because the rumor was I was gay and the, their girlfriends liked me but they couldn't stand it because you know it's that's that graffiti scene is hardcore heterosexual misogyny you know I think like you're true to yourself, you know, because you've you've stood your ground, haven't you? I I fought for my sexuality and I fought for my freedom all the way. And you stand up for your values, which leads me to the next question, which is that you know. Well, my values stand up for me. I don't think yeah. I stand up for oh, them. I yeah. think That's they stand up for me. They help me be a better person. Yeah, because part of this podcast, what I'm exploring is like alternative economies and cultures. And I, you know, mm. a lot of my research looks at, you know, that it doesn't have to be this kind of buy or sell model. Or, you know, it doesn't always have to be about profit in the same old way of a private model. And, you know, I just wondered, so a question I ask everyone who come on the show, you know, how do you sustain your own creative practice, you know, with sustainable alternatives? Um, because you know that that's the challenge it's creative isn't it how how do we sustain our practice you I know. teach okay. I paint I decorate I walk dogs I do gardens <laughs> um uh yeah I do I, I will not sell Noki out until the right bidder comes along yeah because it can't be broken because it already comes from the broken yeah and I think, you know, there's loads of different opportunities now, isn't there? Like, mm. you know, what I try to explore with my students and just generally on this podcast is, you know, you can crowdfund something today, you know? You can... Yeah, you're right, Rachel. I think I need to meet somebody that's as good as business as I, as I am good at custom building and together yeah. we can shape 
new society. <laughs> yeah, because my thing is, you know, it's all about let's look at all the alternatives you've got from renting to swapping to um, whether that's time or items, right? Mm. To um, Patreon, to, you know, doing a crowdfunding thing. And, and to me, those opportunities mean you can stick to your values and you don't actually have to sell out because mm. you've created and personalized your own economic system. So you could, in effect, customize your own way of working economically. Mm -hmm. There's so many alternatives that exist. So you take that cut and paste approach. Well, I want, I want to be able to create a school because I want to be able to put the rules in because the school will create a rule, a, a, a place for rules to function. And the only rules I want to bring to that school are my portfolio for the students to then break those rules, to push forward the custom build even harder and faster than I could ever have imagined because they live in their own society. They go to their own clubs now. They do their drugs. They do their sex. They do their whole thing their way. I'm not part of that anymore. I mean, I can, I've only got imaginations of it. Um, because it was, you know, not much changes. It's just a different environment in a different shape and form. Um, and that's why I want to be, that the rules of the school are basically a portfolio of ideas that have gone through the mill, that have been in the Vogue's, have been in all the, every major magazine in the world. A lot of pop stars, you know, have, have worn it. And, you know, as I say, the trainer gold is the oink, is, is the knocky piston, oink, not piss. So, there's a lot of like high end structural rules I'm giving to the school that I would love to see students go, do you know what, Noki, fuck you too. I'm going to do it this way. And I'd love to see that because it, 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 it's, it, then it, it creates even more, it creates, well, it creates, it creates more rules, more fabulous rules within the school itself that another student's going to come across and then go, do you know what, fuck you you know Rachel fuck you Mark whatever whatever student came along and broke rules that student then comes along and breaks even more rules so I think you know and we're always trying to smash point, stuff really, up of Pardon? well that is the whole point encourage people to have autonomy yes know? yes yeah. that's exactly it I think and you know that's that's the school the school of autonomy well there you go that's so kind of I'm trying to aesthetic isn't it Mm -hmm. is you know and then and every people. time a student breaks a rule they're landfill dropping you know what i mean they're literally reducing landfill every time they have an epiphany i'd love to see that happen yeah and i think that whole approach of you know education in the future for me is about co-creation it's about learning from each other you know in, mm. in my approach for teaching i'm always learning as much as i'm teaching yeah always yeah well, I always say to my students, please stop boring me and press me. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, don't regurgitate and do not bring to me stuff that I already know. I need to know what you, I don't know because you're living your own youth culture. Yeah. If, you can bring, if you bring my youth culture to me, then I've seen it. I don't need to see the 90s rave scene and see what you're doing yeah. in the 21st century rave scene. Yeah, that's it, at that age. Yes, you know, at that age, at that time, living and breathing. Older, um, yeah. in the 21st century. Yes. You know, 
what's it like to be a 15 year old in the 21st century what's it yes. like to be a 19 year old you know yeah. and how are they viewing the world and how can they take you know you utilize your knowledge yeah. and recycle that in their own way and then you're learning from them and then it's it's a it's a relationship isn't it mm. well i kind of want to school i want to create obviously a safe space so they can be have unsafe thoughts yeah and yeah. ideas it's so you know? important that i think mm. like having a break rules yeah you know? having agency to experiment with their work because sometimes i think there's so many boxes that in education that, that people have to fit into that it just it crushes a lot of their creativity yeah um and the, you know i, I just know sometimes constraint is good it can challenge you remember my own education you know sometimes constraint challenges you to still be true to yourself and work out how you can play the game but mm -hmm. twist it at the same time yeah i mean it's 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 just a constant need to you know break a rule i'm just, you know the, the rules need to be broken yeah um you know if, if society leaders are constantly breaking rules then isn't that a mood board of of replication yeah um and I just think sustainability is a really exciting place. It's not a place of needy socialism. Yeah. And it I think it can. Be... I think it can be a, a real radical energy shift if, if you just, you know, got your head around the concept of the custom bill being a new form of design Yeah, and within sustainability. Sustainability is an evolving process rather than a fixed entity. It's a state of mind. It yeah. really is a state of mind. And it I mean, something isn't right right now. Something is seriously wrong. And, you know, cathedral thinking needs to, you know, get even bigger. It needs to be stadium thinking. You know, stadiums are bigger than cathedrals. So let's, like, take that old adage of cathedral thinking and talk about stadium thinking, uh, you know, it has to be huge for any 21st century to be there for us. Yeah. Um, I've got uh, you know, my students, I've got feared students that are scared. They might not even make 50. Yeah. You know, that's not right. You know, when you've yeah. got actual youth going, I might not make, because I've just turned 50, you know, so... And, and they looked at me and went, oh my God. And, and they go, you don't even look 50. And I was like, well, I've looked after myself because I got a grip of a lot of stuff, you know what I mean? That my own generation didn't. Mm. And that included getting sober. Yeah. You know, and that helped along the way. Um, and they're like, oh, right. Okay. You know, so what did that mean? I said, well, I went sober for seven years. And my friend, Judy Blame, who was an absolute pioneer of the DIY movement from the House of Beauty and Culture, um, Christopher Nemeth. And, Love Judy Blame. Yeah, he's top boy. And Dave Baby and, you know, um, Patrick Cox Shoes. And all, um, so, um, John Moore Shoes and Patrick Cox, sorry, John Moore. Um, and Christopher Nemeth, Deconstruction. House of Beauty and Culture in London, you know, so there's a big, huge lineage of creativity that was happening in London back in the 90s um, and the 80s, 
into the 90s that was destroyed by the AIDS epidemic, you know. So a lot of those kind of people, you know, Ray Petrie being one of them was a pioneer of style um, doing the Buffalo scene. So, you know, a virus is stripping, stripped creativity and destroyed a lot of, you know, you talk about tribalism. Um, maybe C-19 is the same virus that's destroying, you know, consumerist tribalism. Yeah. That's a good point, actually. So maybe maybe something somewhere along the line, you know, some people coming out of lockdown with a bit more kind of understanding of self and ability to do it themselves. So the whole DIY scene, did you get that bit? I said the whole DIY no, scene no, in the didn't. 80s yeah. and the 90s. I, I, I want to proclaim a new one. It's called BIY. Yeah. So it's by, and that's build it yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'm so into in, in, invent things yourself. I, I wrote a paper, um, it was called Invent Your Own Fashion Economy, because I, I want, mm -hmm. it's so important to give agency back to people, because when everyone mm -hmm. is inventing, you're seeing loads of inventions, which is helping things move forward ways mm -hmm. done. And the more that we all use our kind of talents and skills, things evolve outwards and they expand, you know, which leads yeah. to, got two more questions. Thanks so much for all your time. Um, what does alternatives, I ask every guest, what does alternatives mean to you? You know, thinking about 20 plus years experience that you've had, you've seen a lot of changes in culture, fashion and society. What do you think the alternative evolution will be? Well, if anybody can come up with a better alternative than custom build, I'm willing to listen to them. But until then, because I come across an awful lot of students that just think I'm an angry old man that doesn't really get what I'm doing and what, why are you walking about with Adidas saying AIDS and all the rest of it? Because I'm like, well, why don't you want to like do a safe sex campaign in the raves you go to rather than walking about with a businessman's back pocket in your own back pocket? Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, use these words to do something differently. So the, the custom build is the alternative because mm. it's the only positive alternative that can actually shape style, creativity and modernity into the 21st century. Yeah, and it also helps people participate in that. It, it comes back to community and postcode because I want to, I want to create postcode customizers in their bedrooms as ateliers you know yeah. i want to be able to take them away from this fantasy designer with playing with the brand augmenting it moving it around and baking having i call it a freedom uniform yeah the idea of freedom within creating uniforms because everybody wears has uniforms you know the whole branding thing is a uniform the whole designer thing is a uniform but if you can like chop it up, custom build from it, there's a freedom within that uniform. Um, and I think that's the freedom that a lot of youth needs to feel and be allowed to do. Um, because I think the marketeering has got so hard and fast and direct through social media that it's difficult for any student to question what is freedom. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And because freedom gets caught up in being a sold back as consumption anyway, doesn't it? Uh, well, so, sold back as 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 uh, 
collaboration, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just like, you know, I just want to be able to say to students, you know, you don't need their permission to collaborate. You can unofficially collaborate with any brand in the world as long as it's in the landfill. Yeah. And you can find it on eBay. You can find it in the secondhand store. You can find it in your parents' wardrobe. You can find it in your own wardrobe. It's all there. It just depends where you start looking. I want it make students curious again yeah yeah curious is so key isn't it Mm. and consumerism has confused to to be curious because there's so much design for design's sake and product and ideas upon ideas upon other people's ideas and stuff and commodity and stuff in shops and stuff and stuff and stuff and it's just profit driven a lot of that isn't it yeah it's not that's that's taking the curiosity away from a lot of youth it's just fluttering around like they're being, like it, like they're in some kind of like butter butterfly avery, you know. Yeah. Um, and it can be mesmerising, but you know, um, I it's it's not easy to try and explain the freedom uniform um, and how like it can be made. So it's having yeah. to kind of get people to come out of what's very um ingrained it's social conditioning isn't it well you know it's unfortunately you know we are part of that society that plugged into electronic music yeah. and as soon as electronic music became part of our the repertoire you know we had to do drinking drugs to keep up with it the band used to play before and it used to stop but the human endeavor stopped and we would all stop until the band were ready but when you've got electronic music and it just plugs into basically the power system, oil, um, and it goes on and on and on, no wonder we ended up doing coke and ease and crack and blah, blah, to keep going because it just never stopped. Yeah. The DJ just came after, the relentless DJ, one after the other after the other, and then the, you know, the late nights got longer and longer, and then you know the, the raves got harder and harder, and you know, the festivals became even more and more, you know. So society just became part of its own treadmill for the rave. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the, the, the rave has its consequence um, and, it's, and, it, and it's drilled far too many hours out of our own ability to sleep and understand and, get you know, clarity. get clarity and understand that we need sleep and we need, you know, to see the daylight and we need to, to walk Sometimes. into... Not listening to repetitive beats all the time, you know. And it's it's okay to go slow sometimes. It's okay to be lonely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay to be on your own. It's okay not to have noise in going on all the time. You know, it's okay to be That's you. Stillness, isn't it? It's okay to be free with your own thoughts. It's yes. okay to, you know, build your own ideas. Definitely, and it is that permission thing, isn't it? People feeling like they can. But the last question yeah. I've got, which is, uh, what what projects are you currently working on, and where can people find you? Can I am working with a shoemaker called Andy Murphy, and it's going to be in the, It's going to uh, he makes uh, slippers, seventeenth century slippers. Originally, the idea came from the seventeenth century, and we're creating the, f- the first sports slipper. Um, these slippers were first made back in the 17th century, 18th century for the super high elite and they would come back from their sports endeavours and they would have their picnics and the follies and all that kind of stuff. 
and they would be presented with these slippers to sit and relax in. And they would have the basically the animal that they'd been sporting that day embroidered onto that slipper. So it was for me, it's the visual identity on a shoe of of of, of the kind of first branding on a shoe that actually represented what you'd done that day. You know, so it's kind of the first trainer, the first oh. ever trainer. Um, so we've basically taken that sort of like classic slipper idea and I've been building Noki textile skin canvases for him and he's been building these slippers for me and we will be doing a showcase in September during Fashion Week at Savile Row, which I'd love to see you there at. Um, and the other thing is working with Matty Bovin. So I've been working with Matty Bovin and he has um, sent me his t-shirts that he works with he's customizing t-shirts and doing his own overprints he's got um butterfly fc he's doing a project like that so he gives me bits of his leftover the studio stuff and i build my noki custom builds from it and it will be it's called matoki so it's matty and noki together so it will be called matoki and it will be for rent on noki.com nokishop.com and for sale on mattybovin.com Nice. So I'm entering the circular economy thing, but so you you rent the pieces on Noki, and you buy them on Mati. Like so that's that. going to be Matoki. So we're playing the idea that you know people rent them from me, and if they rave in them and they fuck the garment up, we can take it back and we can overprint it. You know, we inspired by the mess of the rave, the toxicity of the rave, and then between the two of us, we'll redo the pieces and sell them or re-rent them that kind of idea so we're just kind of keeping a project buoyant that is not just a project it's a kind of ongoing endeavor um and again as i say i'm you know i've just built nokishop.com where all my portfolio is online and there's a shop to buy custom builds from so i can again create that circular economy from studio to shop um, and that's going that's going well. Um, I'm always really surprised that I sell anything because <laughs> I think I'm always the kind of like top toxic brand with the madman and the mask, you know. But um, it's 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 going it's going well. I'm enjoying it. Um, it makes sense. Um, I kind of um, just love what I do, Rachel. I can't express how much. Buoyancy. I think you can see that you love what you do in your work, um, isn't it? I, I, I kind of just know it's the 21st century. And even if it does, I mean, you got to remember, I was back in the 90s doing this thing and people say, what the hell are you doing? I said, well, it feels like bunker love because when you were in the deep roots of Shoreditch in the 90s yeah. and the warehouses were thumping out, you know, beginnings of, um, you know, drum and bass and it was really hardcore pre-police turning up and raiding places and all the rest of it 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 when you were in your warehouse it was like being in a bunker it was like being apocalyptic um so i used to call noki being the bunker love you know and i used to fantasize that you know we'd all run to the bunker with a little bag of you know clothing from topside that we'd all tit, go tits up kind of like you know apocalyptic kind of usual zombie movie type idea and we'd have to seven, you can imagine the collection that I would create after seven years stuck in a bunker with a bunch yeah. of mates after 
And the idea, as I fantasize about, you know, eventually people just giving me quarters of a Nike T-shirt and a quarter of an Adidas T-shirt and a bit, you know, because they were so stuck in their own nostalgia of what the top side used to be like and arguing with me to, no, I'm not giving it to you, leave it alone. And eventually just because we were just so bored that, okay, I'll give it to you as part of entertainment and just me being me doing my thing and them being bored and what are you, what are you bringing to the bunker right now? And, yeah. you know, like, let's just so many layers of stories so many layers of like you know breaking down the psychology of the 20th century in this bunker together is you know a little gang of people a detox, and, it? yeah it's a huge really? detail i mean we're kind of going through it with c19 you know i think it's yeah. definitely sort of happening now definitely. Uh, so there's a similarity going on there so the bunker loves idea is kind of coming to fruition um and again it's made me more kind of like determined to sort of try and do the school the nest because it 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 just it just feels like I need to put some legacy into my thirty years of this yeah. sort of like world that I've that's now becoming normalised in a sense. Definitely, and pass and, on all and, that, that skill and experience. And yeah, you know, and then you know, it's just so that it has rules and patterns, and then you know, so that as I say, future students can come in and learn techniques and go, oh. I'm, you know, I'm going to think about it this way, you know, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to put that colour together. I'm going to, you know, go to the rag room and find things and collage it this way. Just, you know, impress me. Don't bore me. I'm just, you know, collaborations and designers bore me. I'm sorry, they do, you know. Yeah. I'm not, in, I, don't, I don't think they're necessarily doing anything. The kids that are really doing it, the Fantastic Twelves crew, you know, there are kids out there that are, embracing this the custom build and doing it their way and yeah uh, which is normally on the fringes yeah in their bedrooms it, it, with their mates. yes in the bedrooms you know i went to a thing last up. night i went to a thing last night um in brighton where there was young bands playing because uh, i i caught a band called pussy liquor i you know yeah. bef befriended me and you know ari the lead singer she loves all the knocky stuff and wears it and we were there and um I could see there's a new generation of custom builders just in there pinning together bits of garments and guys with dresses on. And it's not about them being a transgender. It's just they want to wear a dress for a change. And, yeah. you know, there's a kind of new gen of freedom yeah. going on. And, and I was like, this is, and I was with my, one of my students and they were, there was a, well, that student had never been to a gig before. So it was his first time at an actual music gig. And uh, and it was really, he was like, yeah, I could, oh, wow. I'm so, you know, I was really excited to see his own generation in the same area, sort of wearing unusual thought processes. Yeah. Um, and it was, and it was exciting for me to see, because, you know, as I say, you know, I, I'm a bit Peter Pan, I'm told, you know, so I, a bit like yourself, you know, I can see that, you know. Yeah. We're a bit Peter Panish about ourselves, but have an inner, battery life that keeps us glowing with a different you know energy buzz and if that's what the custom bill has given me then I will hold on to it you know forever yeah. and I just want to pass that baton on to you know future future students to you know become as I say postcode custom builders and you know build and their own so web shops that, and you know I think it offers hope like you were saying about people thinking yeah yeah I hope so it, I really hope so I mean offers I, 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 I'm not even going to pretend to be like I'm not even going to pretend to be kind of like you know don't put I know it gives hope I've had thousands of my students have gone through my education hands and you know they're forever talking about fashion monster or 
customization projects we've done back, you know, regardless of whether they're in a dead bend beat job working for Gap or Abercrombie and Fitch or that kind of stuff, they still mention, you know, the fun that they had and the fact that they did it and they still love it and they will always love it and thank you, you know, and I get, you know, so it, it's your, your meaning and your value that you put in that and that it's coming from the heart. Well, I've always said to them, you're, you know, whatever question you've got, I am dying to answer it, you know? Yeah. So do not, if you come from a bullied lifestyle and you feel put down from me, I promise I will answer as honest as I can. And from whatever, forever, I will try and answer your question. And if I can, we can do it through creativity rather than actually giving you a narrative, I think sometimes that's more important, which is why I think some custom building can be therapeutic and it can be, you know, um, spiritual in a sense, you know, because I think it can answer so much more than it's just, process. you know, academic, academic kind of theory. It's process, being in the moment. Yes. But where yes. can people... I'm a, co I'm, I'm, I'm a co-face academic. I've done it from the utter yeah. grassroots up. I've no, no more than a BA and I scraped that through. You know, the rest of it, the rest of it is pure co-face sustainability. It's coming from a very, very, very early adopter of it. And even before the word sustainability was, mm. um, you know, it was just it was the word recycling, you know, but I kind of even want to try and distance myself even from sustainability and just call it custom build and just yeah, become, it I just would. become normalized instead of it being yeah. some socialist kind of like needy ability to yeah. pin it up as an idea, just like become a normal aspect of textile fashion, creativity um, and futurism, you know? So just to finish, well, thank you for coming on the show. And also, Pleasure. Where can people find you? You're on Instagram. I'm I'm on Instagram. Nokia Nokia official. Yeah. I'm on TikTok as Nokia Zine. Cool. And NokiaShop.com. Great. And I'll put that all in the show notes. It's all on there. And I'm still building it because thank you. It's been so good to chat. I've just um, so thanks so much. This was Shapes of Society. To keep up to date on the latest episodes, subscribe, share this podcast, pass it on and inspire others to find and ask what's the alternatives. <laughs>